I was at the gas station yesterday in between clients and I, I get out to fill my car, not bragging, and I see a woman, like an older woman, maybe, I don't know, 60 or something like that, super fat, wearing a muumuu, not judging, I'm judging a little bit, um, I'm just painting a picture, and she's sitting on like a bench at the gas station wall, and she's smoking, which is bad, you know, at a gas station, you shouldn't smoke anywhere near a gas station, but she's sitting next to a giant cage of propane tanks. Just fucking smoking, like, it's right next to her. I mean, six feet. One person laying down, like a, a average tall person laying down away from her. Just smoking, like nothing. If you see some shit, like, you have to, you have to say something. She's endangering everybody's lives. This is so dangerous. So I yell, Hey! You don't see you're sitting next to propane? Put the fucking cigarette out. I was very mad. Stuff like that is ridiculous. There's no, like... <sighs> there's no, oh, give them the benefit. No, they're, they're being extremely dangerous and negligent and ignorant. Um, and it needs... And, you know, you need to get the point across immediately that this is bad. And she's like, I, I got the sense that, oh, maybe she's a little crazy. And she's like, <laughs> like literally just kind of like muttering. And I'm like, there's propane right there. Do you think that's a good idea to smoke next to it? You're at a gas station. Do you think that's a good idea? Put it out right now. And she like turned away. Like she couldn't admit. And I understand I came on aggressively. I get it. So what? She might blow everybody up. Like, this is fucking stupid. The, the, my reaction was proportionate to her behavior. Like, I had every right to go over and smack the shit out of her hand. Um, and then, like, she couldn't accept it. So she had to take, like, two or three more pulls off of her cigarette. And she, like, threw it. And then gets up and like waddles eventually. Like she sat there for another minute. Um, you can't give it in. You can't give in. She sat there for another minute and then she went and sat on the curb. And then started smoking again. Unbelievable. I, I guess most people, well most people probably wouldn't have said anything. But then other people that would have said something, maybe they would have been a little nicer to start. But that shit needed to go out right away. It, the longer it took for her to put that out, the longer the chance of, you know, real danger, like serious shit. It was unreal. A couple weeks before that, same area, too. Uh, it was in Encino. A lot of dum-dums out there, I guess. Uh, if you're listening and you're a fan in Encino, you're obviously not a dum-dum. You're wonderful. Um, but there was like a giant giant there's a large box like a metal box it's uh, something to do with like the city's power grid and it's on the sidewalk and there's signs all around it like don't touch don't sit this is not a bench uh, and they have you know the drawings of 
someone getting electrocuted, you know, high voltage and all this stuff. And there was a woman just sitting on it. Just, she wanted to sit down. Just sitting on it. Just completely oblivious. Nobody reads a sign or like assumes that there's any danger. That's a real problem, I think. That people don't assume that there's like the threat of danger. Like that, that there's somehow they're being uh, protected or something. It's like the idiot, I've talked about it ad nauseum, but like the, the idiots who are walking around on their phone, like crossing streets, looking at their phone, walking in parking lots, looking at their phone. Like they assume that, that, that nothing could happen or would happen or because there are rules on paper in place that that somehow protects them <laughs> in reality, like a physical reality. It's bananas. I mean, this is truly what happens when, you know, you give trophies for participation and there's no importance placed on logic or you know environmental or situational awareness and you know people are just constantly pouring gravy on their brains through I, I hate to be the guy that's like fucking social media but you know it's a big part of it um so crazy man I, doesn't everybody know you don't smoke at a gas station is that a do people not know that Smoking is so fucking gross, man. It's so gross. The smell. Ugh. I see people smoke. It's just like, Jesus, guys. Like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Aside from how bad it is for you. But like, and also it's weird when you see people who are like really uh, like, I'm vegan and the environment and I drive an electric car and I want to help. But then they smoke. Like, you don't understand the the pollutants you're putting into the air, the atmosphere with your cigarette, and then the waste of the filters, which like never <laughs> break down. Like they're there for almost ever and animals eat that shit too. Yeah. It's unreal. Like the, there's just no people, they, they want to be a part of a cause or whatever, or feel like they're doing well or, making a difference in something as long as it fits into what they want to do they don't want to be inconvenienced of course you know, the other day I was actually at I was in uh, little Tokyo with my son and we were having dinner at this ramen place and a girl I mean, she couldn't have been more than like 22 or something like that 25 at the most came in and she was holding her cigarette butt you know it was out and she brought it in and then asked where a trash can was and then she threw it away she didn't stomp on it outside and leave it on the ground you know like a fucking trash person she brought it in and threw it away in a place which was amazing so good she wasn't even japanese i say that because in japan that's what they do when i was in tokyo it that i mean that city i mean it's a city it's a big city it's like la i mean not that large but it's like new york and uh, there's vending machines everywhere. There's zero trash cans on the street. None. That's not, I'm not speaking uh, hyperbolically. There's no trash cans. And there's also zero trash on the street. None whatsoever. I didn't see one piece of trash on the street. Because if people have trash, they hold on to it. They wait till they get in a store or home. And then they throw it away in a trash can. So good. 
even in little Tokyo, there's tons of fucking trash. So it was, it was refreshing to see this girl not do that. Welcome to Porb. I, uh, trying out a new camera, my old camera. I'm, I'm done filming on the phone while I like the convenience of it. Um, it's just, it's fucking up too much. There's too many variables. The phone's trying to do too many things. It's a, this little computer that's trying to accomplish so many tasks. So, it, you know, it's not weird that it messes up uh, and messes up the footage. And, uh, you know, the company's reached out to me because I happened to post something on Twitter. I was a little upset. Um, they're like, ah, you know, I won't be using these apps anymore because they keep fucking up. And one of the companies, Filmic Pro, they reached out. They're like, oh, we're so sorry to hear that. Um, you know, explain the problem. So I did. And like, yeah, it might be because of this, the update with iOS. And so we got to figure it out. So, with, you know, I'm just back to using my regular camera and uh, we'll do that. So hopefully that'll be okay. Sorry about the uh, swallowing. I drink coffee in the morning. I know it doesn't sound cool. I was driving yesterday, maybe the day before. And I saw a sticker, a bumper sticker, or a windshield sticker. And it said, <laughs> be bold, be Catholic. <laughs> oh, the marginalized and disenfranchised Catholic people. So sorry <laughs> for your making you feel unwanted or oppressed or that uh, you couldn't be openly Catholic. That somehow uh, you feel bad about being Catholic, but you shouldn't. First of all, you should. It's a horrible cult. Of all the cults, it's one of the worst. That has inflicted more pain and destruction and rape and murder and greed war crimes than like any other cult. It's one of the worst cults. You know, it, it <laughs> it's okay with child molestation. Doesn't that, if that's a part of your cult, shouldn't that be a big clue? Like, oh, this cult isn't very good. I should find a <laughs> different cult. Be bold, be Catholic. Come on. Like who is ever, like who's out there like championing and like actively actively fighting like on a global scale who's out there actively trying to bring down the catholic church like most people want that shit gone but nobody's you know what i mean like you guys you guys the vatican which is like you know where your stuff is uh born your corporation is the head of your corporation is is literally not even a part it's it's a it's separate country within a country it's like no we're we're separate so our laws, we make our own. Everything is, is on. We police ourselves. This shit is bananas. Be bold. Be Catholic. Fuck you. It's unbelievable. It was the dumbest thing. It's like, you know, one time, this was a couple of years ago now, a few years ago now. This was kind of like the... One of the the beginning, not the beginning, but toward the beginning of the real, like, the uh, big deterioration of my relationship with my dad. He sent this email. It was like a group email. 
and he had, you know, he had copied it from or forwarded it from someone else. Okay. And it was like, I don't remember exactly, but it was something to the effect of, it was like this just massive thing about, uh, I'm white. So that means I'm racist. I'm Christian. So that means I, you know, it was all these things like saying that I'm, this is just who I am and everybody hates me because of it. And it was all essentially centered around like the poor, middle-aged, middle-class white male, like how hard it is for us. I don't mean to lump myself. I mean, I am a middle-aged white male, but like this is not my thought process. But like how hard it is for them to be, you know, it, it's the, the make America great again type people who are just like, nobody cares about me. It's so hard for me. And I'm not saying people in the middle of America don't have it hard. There certainly is tremendous hardship there. What I'm saying in this email, it was just like, uh, I question where, this was during Obama, I question where uh, Obama comes from. So that means I hate Muslims. It was just the most ignorant. And, and he sent it like in a group. Like he CC'd a bunch of people, like me and a bunch of his friends, I guess. I guess just hoping like, well, you're all white guys. You'll you'll understand. You'll get it. And I replied to everybody. I was like, this is, I don't know any of these other people. I was like, this is the one of the most ignorant and pathetic things I've ever read in my life. And then he, my dad responded to me like, you know, I was just joking, but you don't think like it's a little bit true. And I was like, what is the joke? That shit pisses me off to no end. When somebody does something fucked up or says something fucked up or does something stupid or, you know, does something fucked or says or whatever. And then they fall back on it was a joke when clearly they were not joking, right? Like it's not the same as like a comedian telling a joke and then you feel a certain way about it. And they're like, hey, it was a joke. That's true. It was a joke. But people in just their everyday lives doing something. And so I asked, what was the joke? I love jokes. What's the joke? Obviously, I don't understand this one. Please explain the joke. And then nothing. Crickets, of course. Anytime you call somebody out when they say that, they have nothing to say. And then they try to like, what is that called? Gaslighting? Is that what that is? When they like turn it around on you and try to make you seem like you're out of line for calling them out on their bullshit. Is that what that is? Let's find out. Gaslighting. Manipulate by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Hey, look, I knew a thing. Isn't that cute? Yeah. So it's a typical thing. Like, I've been with girlfriends who would do that, ex-wife, whatever. Like, when you call them out on their behavior and then they're like, no, you're being ridiculous or you're wrong or you're being crazy or you don't understand. But then they still can't offer you a real explanation. They just have to, like, then change the subject. It was, it was bullshit. Like, the poor white man. They've had it so hard. So hard. All these years... Entire civilization is based, modern civilization is based on and around the supremacy of the middle-aged rich white man. Ah, oh, it's so tough. So tough. <laughs> yeah, just crazy. Be bold, be Catholic. <laughs> oh, man. What else is going on? I don't know. I uh, 
you know, sometimes I feel that like, you know, I get this feeling that I'm kind of like being rolled over by time. Like I can't catch a rhythm, you know, and I, I, I know this is a, 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 an aspect of depression and anxiety, but it's like this feeling that you can't, you know, it's like playing double dutch and you can't just jump in. Every time you try something else, and that, you know, large spans of time will pass in a day or a week or a weekend and then nothing, I'm not, I feel like it's just keeps running so quickly. And like in my mind, I know that's not actually happening. Like I know that time has moved the same for my entire life. So it's just my perception of my reality that is where that feeling is coming from, how I'm viewing it, you know, what I expect from myself or what I expect to happen is causing me to live in this alternate reality. Where, that, where that's how I feel. And it's so odd. I mean, so much of that is based on like finances. You know, when, especially as if you're a, a business owner and, you know, it, it can be very stressful, you know, as business moves up and down, so does your financial stability. When business is up, everything is great and feels easier too. And then when it's sluggish, it's not just that like uh, the business, you can't compartmental. I can't, I have a hard time compartmentalizing it. I'm getting better at it, but it's, it's not compartmentalized. It, it's, um, you know, it, it bleeds into everything that this feeling of fear or failure or pressure, um, I still wouldn't have it any other way. Like I can't work for anybody else. I can't do that. Um, I was having that conversation with a friend recently who recently has started her own business as well, which is an amazing thing to do, especially, you know, when you do it from like a, a position of strength, you know, when you're like, I'm going to stop doing this thing that I'm doing and do this thing that I, my passion. That's a great, it's an awesome thing. So she started this business and uh, yeah, we were talking about it and I was kind of sharing some of my experience in it, you know, pitfalls and things like that. And it was so awesome to see her doing this. And, but that was one of the things I was, I was like, I just can't, I can't work for somebody else. I just can't like go into a place and then, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, part of that is I'm very, I, I have a tendency to be rather confrontational, obviously by my <laughs> screaming at that old moo lady for trying to blow everybody up. Um, but part of it is, uh, you know, if I'm not, the idea of like, you have to do this at this time, the way I said to do it, it, it there's all this weird power structure stuff. I don't know. It's just no good. I can't do it. Um, but yeah, so it, I don't know, but because of that, just that feeling of like, it's not an issue of feeling small. I don't mind that feeling. You know, feeling like I'm just a person in this vast universe. That doesn't bother me. I actually like that feeling. Uh, but 
just this thing about like yeah just feeling like you know rolled over and as as you get older i think that feeling increases especially after having kids like i have a son and uh you know he's in the beginning he's four so it's like time moves slow because he doesn't have responsibilities so his mind can focus on large parts of his thoughts or his large parts of his feelings or large parts of his wants or needs and i i he's a great reminder and reflection of like how do i work that more into my life how do i get out of my head and and just enjoy more of like things i want to do and i'm i'm getting better at it certainly this record has really helped me do that where um i felt so much pressure not pressure from like the media or anything like that but just pressure on myself to finish it and put it out and then once i did uh, and if you uh, are listening go ahead and click on the link in the description if you're watching rather on uh youtube or even if you're listening on itunes you can uh click the link in the description on your phone or on your computer and pre-order my record comes out august 23rd um again violently sleeping by gray house which is me on itunes bandcamp it should be on amazon music and spotify uh, not spotify um google store like to buy to purchase i'm not doing streaming i might release a couple singles on it for streaming but anyway um putting the record out really did help me because there was a giant weight you know the record is like is a lot of anxiety for me that this record again violently sleeping um by gray house on itunes <laughs> because you know some the where it came from was a tremendous time of anxiety for me so now that it's out there's a huge it feels like that part of my life well you know it's still in me a little bit but it's gone like it's not uh it's not the biggest thing for me anymore like those that those feelings that i'm working through on that record uh they've been uh, you know this is the only time i've ever had this experience with music too like i've been making music for 25 years uh but it was more it was less emotional the first time i had like a an emotional reaction to a record that I, music that i made was like in 2000 i started recording by myself and i would put out little records um and there was some cuz it was just me there was certainly some emotional feelings there but then i put out that record uh in 2008 or 9 the Gooby Goo and Peekers record, My Stomach Can Hold Up to 150 Pounds of Food, uh, which is also on iTunes. That is streaming too, I believe, on Spotify and whatnot. Um, but I had an emotion, because that was like very me at the time. And uh, also very different from anything I'd ever done. I'd always like been a rock and blues and kind of musician. So when I put that, an indie record rock out, an, an indie rock record out, one, all my friends were like, what the fuck is this? But for me, that was like exactly who I was in that moment. And it was really, it felt very honest. And I love that. I still love that record. Um, so I have the same feeling about this. But because this is also the first record I've ever written 
all the lyrics for and sang all the songs on. Um, you know, it's like when I would release records with T-Bone and the Boners, it's silly music and fun. So it, it was definitely me, but it wasn't like at a, it wasn't so intimate or personal, but this is very, but what's interesting is that like now that it's gone, I, I'm actually, well, that was annoying. Keep having uh, technical issues. Camera just shut off for no reason. Um, I don't know, maybe it overheated or something? Who knows? I gotta get another fucking camera. Um, oh, whatever I was talking about. But yeah, since releasing this record, uh, it's weird. I haven't listened to it since I put it out. Uh, made it available for pre-order. And it's the first time I haven't listened to it in... I mean, a year, longer, two years. Um, so it's, just, it's weird. But now I'm finishing up more music now. And uh, I have such a strong connection to it. Like, I love it. I fucking love it. What I'm working on right now. I don't know where I was going with this. That fucking camera messed up my shit. My flow, my, my flow. I'm like a rapper, but whatever. I don't remember how I was going on with this, but I don't know. Who cares? Stupid cameras. Does everybody have these problems? You're a photographer or a filmmaker. Do you constantly have issues with your cameras? Is it just me? I don't know. Photography is weird. That's one of those things like anybody can take a picture right? Like it's just, you can just take a picture and there are a lot of people who can take good pictures and they, a lot of, but like when you, there's just such a huge difference from when you go like, yeah, I take good pictures. Like I take me personally, I take good pictures. But then when I see like a real photographer, a photographer, and then I'm like, oh no, 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 that, <laughs> those are great pictures. It's weird how that works. There's there aren't a lot of things like that where anybody can ha anybody has access to it, which means anybody can do it. And then you'll have a base level of like shit and then people being pretty good. And then this big leap into exceptional, which is how I feel about photography. It's so weird. And I I remember like I'd never really seen a lot of pictures that moved me so much. And then my mom had this coffee table. I forgot the artist's name. I, I apologize. Um, of this photographer. And I looked through her pictures and every one I was like, wow, I'm so fucking moved by this. I feel like I feel emotional. I, I feel I have emotional feelings about these pictures. And I was like, oh, okay, that was years back. And that was the first time I went, oh, okay, there's a big difference here. Of, of You're not just capturing a beautiful thing. It's the way you're doing it, the angle or the lighting or even how you're addressing it in post that you, you see something different in this. It's so weird. There aren't a lot of things like that. I guess I guess any art can be like that. Like there are people who pick up the guitar and they're like, just playing nonsense or you know it's just trash just kind of surface level and then there are people who are a little better than that and then 
exceptional. So I guess with art, anybody can just do art, but there's a huge difference, you know, between like the amateur who's just okay. And then the professional who's great. Um, and I guess a lot of, just like with anything, a lot of that has to do with just time. You invest time in it. And eventually, as long as you're, as long as you never think that you're great, you will continue to get better, which seems to be the case with everything. You know, there's a, a, a real danger in um, assuming that what you're doing is great, that you got it. You know, like musicians are a great example of, of that, where, fuck, Ugh. fucking camera's overheating. What the shit? Man, sorry. That is really, really annoying. Um, I'll get it figured out, guys. Just <laughs> bear with me. Episode 19. What the hell was I even talking about? Musicians. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the problem with musicians, like um, I think I probably said this before. But like where, you know, when they're, it's often why some of like the early records of bands or artists tend to be really great. And then their later stuff can often suck. And some of that has to do with like, you know, before you're known, you have this like intense need to say things and you're probably not doing well uh, in other areas of your life. So you want so much improvement and then you get that and then you have less to say, uh, you know, that's part of it. But also sometimes, you know, if your creativity isn't only coming from that kind of uh, like a desperation, if there's another area where you're drawing from, um, there's this thing where it's like a band or an artist is trying to make good music. So then they often do because, you know, they're just letting it come out. And then, but they're hypercritical. So they'll, they never look at themselves like they got it all figured out. But then sometimes after so much success, uh, uh, somebody, an artist or a band feels that like everything we do is good. And then it sounds like shit because there's, it sounds like they're putting no effort into it because that's what's happening. You know, Kanye West is a great example where it's like, the first, what, four? College dropout, late registration, graduation, and then my dark, beautiful, twisted fantasy. Uh, and then even, you can argue, uh, uh, Yeezus as well, five. And then uh, the one he did after that, six. Six, there's some decline there for sure. A lot of decline, actually. So let's say the first five records. You know, he had so much to say. He was really trying so hard to make good music. He was trying to be great. And then after that, like, there was a very clear switch where he just assumed everything he was doing was great. And now it's not very good at all. Um, or it's extremely average. It happens all the time. Like, Eminem had a dip like that in his career. Um, I can't think of, like, rock bands, but it happens with them, too. So, yeah. I don't know where the fuck I was. God damn you, camera. That is so annoying. That is so annoying. Yeah, I was thinking about the other day. I've always grown up saying that I liked being alone. It's like, I'm solitary. I like being alone, which is true. It is true. I'm, I'm an introvert. So, you know, for me to recharge or it, it involves being quiet or by myself or 
you know, I, I like that. And I like being alone. I like making music on my own. I like reading on my own. I like playing video games. Like these are solitary activities. But when I was a kid, I would kind of like really lean into it because that was just my reality. I had, you know, almost practically no parenting. And then I was just alone all the time. So I think, you know, to kind of take charge of it or ownership of it or not feel so bad about it, you start saying that you like it, that it's your choice. It's like that gives you a control over it. Oh, I like this. This is how I'm doing it because I like it, which is only half true. You know, yes, I do like it, but there's a part of me that would like lean into it as a defense or coping mechanism. And I feel people like people do that with like being fat. I'm not talking like 10 or 20 pounds overweight. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, 80 pounds, 100 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds overweight. And then you'll hear it all the time. I like my body or I like being like this. The fuck you do. You 100% don't feel good. Like you don't because that doesn't feel good. It's extremely dangerous. You you have all sorts of health problems and risks for more health problems. But then people will kind of like, no, I love I love it like this because they have to. Because that's their reality. So they have to, you know, the, the alternative is to make a choice to change and then make that effort. But some people, they don't feel they can. They feel like this is just the way it is and there's they have no control over it. So the control that they take is saying, like, I love being 200 pounds overweight. It's absurd. It, it's It's the same thing. I know people, like, tighten up. They feel like I'm fat shaming maybe or something. I'm not. Um, but it's the same thing of like, you can say you enjoy having a couple drinks a week and that's true. But if you're drinking a bottle of whiskey every night, that's not enjoyment. You know, it, the difference between somebody who casually drinks or likes drinking and then of alcoholic it's very different. I don't mean to like get on fat people. <laughs> I, I once, uh, to that same uh, point, I was once on Tumblr, I think, and somebody put some post about that they, that they were being shamed because they smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Such a like some stupid millennial bullshit. They're like, somebody shame me because I'm smoking. And they literally, they literally, they said, uh, it's not my fault. I can't help it. This was just, <laughs> I can't do anything about it. This is just the way I was born. Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you saying? Smoking is a choice. You're active. That's a, you might be addicted to it, but that's not. <laughs> oh. Oh, hi, Lumpia. What's up? Oh, you want to laugh too? You want to laugh too? My dog is, she likes when I laugh. You want to wrestle? Got you now. Put you in a chokehold. Take that. Take that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, take some of this. I'm going to choke you out. Yeah. Ah. 
All right, get out of here. I'm trying to work. This is the best part about having big dogs is like the wrestling. They like to they like to wrestle. It's so cool. I remember when I was a kid. Um, oh, and uh, I would just visit my dad or even like for the small amount of time that I lived with him. Um, he had a, uh, we had a, a black lab named Mallory. Amazing dog. Such a wonderful dog. But uh, he would always like get down on the ground and wrestle with her super, super hard. And I always wanted to do it as a kid. But, I, you know, for, when I was that young, you know, this is, you know, five, something like that. Um, you know, he was like, oh, you, you know, you're too little to do this. So it was always something like, as I got older, I always had dogs. But, you know, when I got into my early teens or even before that, um, when I was able to, like, deal with a big dog physically when I could handle fucking with a big dog, it was it's something I still love. Just as, as soon as I come home, it's the first thing I do. I get on the floor. First, it starts with the super lovey-dovey stuff with her. And she knows. it's She loves it. She'll walk up with this big, great big grin. And, uh, and then she knows I'm going to kneel down and I get on the ground and then I, I hug her as I'm petting her and I'm like, hi, pretty girl. Hi, pretty. She loves being called pretty girl. And then like after, you know, three, four, five minutes of that, then it turns into a lot of just roughhousing, wrestling and getting tossed around and she'll jump on me and snarl and like, you know, pretend to bite and all that stuff. Um, it's great. It's so fun. It's one of the best parts of having a big dog like that, like her, that you can play super rough. And uh, you see how much they love it. And they need it. That's how dogs play. You know, she's by herself. You know, she doesn't have any. She grew up with two other dogs, but they both since passed on. And uh, so it's good. And she's, unfortunately, she's extremely dog aggressive. She's amazing with people, loves everybody. Uh, the sweetest, you know, she's amazing with my son, super patient. He can literally like lay on her, crawl on her. And he's, she's like, yep, that's great. But um, she's very dog aggressive. So I don't, I can't let her do that with other dogs because she'll eat them. Um, so she does it with me. It's great. This is a weird podcast today. Sorry, guys. All these issues are fucking me up. But yeah, um, it seems like we all do that. Like, no, this isn't a problem. This is a choice. I like doing this when that's not actually true. It's like a way to take control or ownership of it. I didn't know I ever did that. You know, it's only over the last few years, the last four years have been super transformative for me with, you know, my son being conceived and then born and divorce and then my relationship after my ex-wife, you know, my, my last girlfriend, um, just huge, massive changes and shifts. And my work in therapy is, uh, more like self-analysis. So it's awful. You constantly have to like look at what, at yourself and what you're doing and what you're feeling and thinking and why and sit in, there's just so much sitting in feelings just, but like the yucky feelings. I went most of my life without feeling my feelings other than like anger or, um, you know, sadness. Those are like the easy ones to, to access. They're readily available. 
But, you know, so now when I look back and I go like, oh, okay, well, you know, part of me leaned into being solitary as a way to not feel so shitty about being alone so much, being by myself so much. Um, it's just interesting how we do that. It's very interesting how we do that. But we do. Have you guys seen this video of a woman? She's on a boat in the ocean. And uh, she drops her phone, I guess. And then this, I think it was a beluga whale, catches it in its mouth. There weren't, like, it's not Sea World. This is just the world, just in the ocean. And this, <laughs> this whale catches it and swims back to the surface and gives it back to her. Not with its hand, but, like, it puts its mouth up and allows her to take it from its mouth. How amazing is that? Have you guys seen this video? I'll put it right here. Look at this. Here, let me bring it up, too, so I can also watch. Whale. Oops. Gives phone back. Yeah, it is a beluga whale. Here's a beluga whale bringing someone back their phone. Let's check this out. Look at this. She dropped it and it, it caught it somewhere. It just happened to be there. Brought it back. She takes it right out of its hand. And it like smiles like, hey, and open its mouth and they let, he lets, he or she lets them pet it. And he's like, all right, peace. Let's check that out. Like, what the hell? Are they in the ocean? Maybe they're not in the ocean. Mm. Those waters look so calm and clear. Maybe they're not in the ocean. Let me see here. I mean, are they? I don't know. This whale is just like cleaning up people's shit. I don't, are they in the ocean? What the hell? Um, let's see. Let's figure this out. Um, a couple weeks ago, a mysterious visitor appeared in the open waters around Hammerfest, Norway. Okay. Yeah. Little is known for certain about why about the whale's origins, but it's suspected that he was trained by the Russian Navy, from which he'd apparently defected. Uh, since then, freed from the harness, he's continued to linger nearby. Recently, however, something was discovered about the whale's personality. He's actually quite considerate. Wait, are they being serious? Yeah, you read that right. Spy whales may apparently be a thing. Mm. The other day, I'm reading this from thedodo.com. I don't know if any website is legitimate. I'm just, this is where I'm reading it from. The other day, while out and about in Hammerfest, Ina Mansika and her friends decided to head down to the waterfront to see if they could spot the alleged former spy. Oh, it was then that something pretty amazing happened. Not only was the beluga whale there to greet them. <coughs> Thank you. Not only was the beluga whale there to greet them, he came to the rescue when Manska happened, oh, had a mishap. And then in quotes, we laid down on the dock to look. Oh, they were on a dock. Okay. We laid down on the dock to look at it and hopefully get the chance to pat it. 
Manska told the Dodo. I had forgotten to close my jacket pocket and my phone fell in the ocean. We assumed it would be gone forever until the whale dove back down and came back a few moments later with my phone in its mouth. All right. So it's a little different than I initially thought uh, after only seeing the video. But essentially, this whale <laughs> got this lady's phone back. Uh, Manska was stunned. Everyone was so surprised. We almost didn't believe what we saw. I was super happy and thankful that I got my phone back. Unfortunately, water damage had made the phone inoperable by that point, but Mosca was appreciative regardless. I love animals, she said. The whale is so kind. It's unclear if the beluga whale is too accustomed to humans to thrive in the wild on his own, given his apparent training, but officials say they are keeping his best interests at heart. According to the Washington Post, a plan is being considered that would have, that would have him relocated to a sanctuary in Iceland. A thoughtful gesture towards one... A thoughtful gesture toward one who's already shown the same. Well, okay, so it's a little different. It wasn't completely wild. I guess it was some sort of spy whale. <laughs> um, but regardless, this whale saw this lady drop the phone, swam back down, and picked it up. Which is pretty neat and weird and uh, amazing, actually. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. I'm uh, nervous that the camera will shut off again, even though <laughs> I have taped an ice pack to it and it seems to be working. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and review and subscribe. That does help me. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe. Comment down below. Click the notifications so you get uh, notified when new episodes come out. Um, follow me on Twitter at Graham Baker. Instagram at Instagram Baker. Uh, for the music, it's at Greyhouse Music. Click the links in the description below. If you want to pre-order my record, please do that. The response has been really great. I've been getting so many nice messages about it. I really appreciate you, and I appreciate you, appreciate you guys for checking it out. Um... If you like to shop on Amazon, go to my website, grahambaker.com. Scroll to the bottom, click that Amazon banner and do your shopping just like you normally would. Nothing changes for you, but uh, a little bit of that can come back to the show and help me keep doing this. That's it. Yeah. All right, guys. Be well. Do good. Make good choices. Peace.